0: the sky. Welcome to the 5 Star Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you've had a good weekend. It is Tuesday morning uh, and I am finally doing the podcast for um, the Ireland versus South Africa game in the pool stages and a whole ton to talk about with that game. Um, but part of the reason why I'm doing this late is because um, I was commissioned yesterday to do a piece, a written article on um, Zombie and the way it came to be in the aftermath of some of the... Um, discussion, not discussion, I would say, unnecessary fuss and butthurt after Ireland uh, beats South Africa on um, Saturday night and um, Zombie was played over the Tannoy as it was a few weeks ago against Tonga. Um, obviously, there was lots of, for me, really manufactured outrage online um, in the... Aftermath of this um, by a bunch of people who've always hated rugby and really, really want to hate rugby. And uh, this World Cup is their World Cup of, of hating rugby. And um, this was the thing that they alighted on. Um, a interpretation that the song by the Cranberries, Zombie, um, written by Dolores Harreard in the aftermath of the Warrington bombing in the 90s, is actually a critique of nationalist politics. Um, now personally, I, I I can't see why these people seem very keen on tagging a terrorist attack that killed a bunch of kids, um, in Warrington to a political movement because everything I've been led to believe that they're apparently two very separate things, um, but that has been the conversation that has been going around in the last couple of days. I was on the radio about it yesterday morning with uh, Joe Nash on Live 95. And um, I think part of the reason why this is so, I won't interesting, but why it has engaged people so much is that typical thing that I think we've seen in a lot of other different contexts that somebody is annoyed by this. Somebody is really irritated by this and you've got to look at it and see what it is. You've got to be very aware as to why these people are mad about this. And I'm falling into that as well. The only reason I'm mentioning it here is because this is why the podcast is a bit late. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing for me is that once you understand that the majority, the vast, vast majority of critique you're seeing on this song is from People who are manufacturing an outrage because they see this as an opportunity to have a crack off elitists. Now, from everything I've seen in my replies, because I had a Twitter thread up about this for a few days now, just going over how zombie got to be used in rugby in the first place. And a lot of the mentions I've got and replies I've got from people who are, you know, obviously very unhappy that it isn't a giant unionist conspiracy that somehow involves French DJs, um the biggest thing I've seen about them is that when they're saying elitist, what they're actually saying there is Protestant. And that to me is the ugly side of this because when I look at this Irish rugby team, and this goes along to some of the stuff I've heard about people cribbing about Ireland's call as well, but why aren't we playing oran Aveen? reason why we're not playing O'Ron is is that the team you're seeing there at the weekend is not the Republic of Ireland that are playing. Like, the Republic of Ireland did not beat South Africa at the weekend. That is Ireland, right? That is a, a a rugby body that represents everybody on this island, including people who have British passports and who, if they were going to sing a national anthem for themselves, it'd probably be God Save the Queen or God Save the King, whatever it is. Now, me, I I would not sing God Save the King. I wouldn't. That's just, I would have no interest in in, in in hearing that anthem at an Irish rugby game. But we have to understand that there are people here from other traditions and there are people who are playing for this rugby team and who support this rugby team that like their their country and their national identity to them is that of Northern Ireland, that of British. So what we have really done really well, I think, in this country from a rugby perspective is that we've managed to make this rugby team represent everybody as much as possible you know, obviously I think representing absolutely everybody is, is, is a real difficult challenge but I think I look at how important Ian Henderson was off the bench in this game how important Rob Herring has been you know guys like Jacob Stockdale who were close enough to the, to, to the squad who were obviously really important players in years gone by Rory Best you know captain of, of Ireland for many years prior to Johnny Sexton um, I look at that and I go they've taken what would be a very awkward, and this goes back d- decades, decades. They've taken something that could be really awkward and, and has been really awkward at times and they've made it work. And sometimes when you're looking to try and make something work, you have to give a little and they have to give a little to make it work for everybody. So when I see a lot of the, of the, of the criticism and the, the attempted trolling, which is again, some of the, some of the, some of the attempts, like, I'm not talking about this upsetting, just really bad, like really bad and unfunny and like, just like Babby's first attempt, like there's people who created accounts specifically um, in the last couple of days to get in on that thread, to be just, you know, to, to try their attempts at trolling and, and just again, just real bad, real bad attempts. I, I have been trolled much better before. Um, this is not, this, this is not high level stuff. And, Like the one thing that I can I I can see from those people is that they want nothing. Only the exact way that they have pictured it in their heads and nothing else is ever possible. And they will never have it that way. When I look at Ireland's call, it is imperfect. It's gotten slagged off for the entirety of its of its existence, I think. But listening to it on on Saturday... Looking at how the likes of Peter Romani and Johnny Sexton were singing it, that to me it's it's over with me. I I I don't have a problem with it with Ireland's Call. And it's like some people will never like rugby, some people never like will never like Ireland's Call. And you know what? Some people who just do not like either of those things will use them to have a pot shot in their own way. Um because they can't see beyond their own sectarian worldview. So they assume that everybody else must be doing the same. But just to confirm, because I've asked around. Is this a unionist cabal that is using the song zombie to brainwash the young childers of the 26 counties um, to all of a sudden to decide to join Britain because they are indeed West Brits? Um, no, 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 that, 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 that isn't what's happening. Um so just to confirm that, that um it's literally it got popular in Munster. It got really over in Munster, French Stadium DJ, um, because zombie's obviously very popular in France also. Um it's a but it's very popular everywhere because it's got like well over one billion plays on YouTube. Um they decided that they were gonna add a few Irish themed songs after um Ireland games, if Ireland win in the Rugby World Cup. Zombie was one of them. The crowd really loved it because most crowds really do. And um, they started singing along to it. And then because World Rugby is keen for big supporter, you know, um, supporter moments in this World Cup, said, you know what? If Ireland win at the weekend against South Africa, we should play it after full time. So when the crowd starts singing along to it, we can use that footage to create something that could be really popular on social media and grow the footprint of this World Cup, which is our job as social media admins. And that's what happened. And that's it. And um, you can hear hooves outside and not just assume that it's a zebra assume that it's Pegasus himself um, that has flown down from the clouds if you want. But the reality of this is that it's just a song and it's a very popular song that people know the chorus of which is why Munster picked it. And like it, the connection to Munster obviously is because the band are from Limerick and Munster playing Limerick and it's kind of gotten over as an Irish rugby song off the back of it, and uh, what does it have to do with rugby? Well, what does any song have to do with anything? Like, what does the fields of Athenry have to do with rugby? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, it's just it became popular with people who were at rugby games. Therefore, it becomes a rugby anthem. Same as like, what does Ole 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 have to do with Ireland? I mean, it's Spanish. This is the thing, but that's nine minutes of my life I won't get back on that on top of all the time yesterday that I won't get back, there was a far more important thing happening in this game, um, which was Ireland's win and Ireland's part in what was an incredibly high level, intense rugby match played on the biggest stage and uh, for Ireland to come out on top really is something else. And um, I think looking at how the last couple of of of, of years and in, in the World Cup have gone. We've had games that are kind of like this before. Like we beat Australia in 2011. Now Australia were obviously a much better team, I think, at that stage. Um, and we like that was obviously a massive moment for Ireland, but it but meant nothing in the end because we were knocked out in the quarter final by Wales. Um obviously, and this is this is obvious the Irish players and coaches know that that wasn't the final on Saturday. (laughs) I've had a few people, I think Stuart Barnes as well, was like, oh, Ireland showed weakness by celebrating the win after the game, which is just nonsense. And to go on in fully on the nonsense, we had a lot of lads, but I had a lot of guys in my mentions who were just like doing that kind of Roy Keane impression that you see a lot of fellas do certainly in the years since Roy Keane has become a pundit, where they're just like, do your job, you do your job. It's like, OK, this is a big game. Like, for Ireland to win it in such dramatic circumstances where, you know, the game is is right there at the end. Of course, you're going to be happy you win that game, especially when it's been a target for, you know, basically the last year. This pool game was the target game. And then you look at the crowd, 40,000 more, maybe, who are giving energy all game long, all day long, right? Who flew over. These tickets are not cheap. Flying over to France in the last couple of days is not cheap. So you want to give them a little bit back as well. So there's lots of these lads who were just like, you know, fancy themselves as serial winners, you know, keeping the dogs feet on the ground at home, you know, like, of course, you're going to celebrate a win like that. You have to celebrate wins like that. And like the, the importance of it was is that like, as I wrote in the in the body ratings, I'm old enough to remember Ireland being fucking shit, being like basically Italy with a better rep in the late eighties um, in the nineties. In the nineties, we went eleven games without winning. I, re- I read that the other day, and like I was a I was a young guy at the time. I was ten or more. No, but but yeah, well, we'll say under under the age of fifteen. <laughs> Right. And whenever you'd watch Ireland rugby on the TV, it was just grim, depressing. Um, obviously, there'd be stuff like the Six Nations you'd see or the there'd be a World Cup you remember seeing. I think everybody remembers that, you know, Stephen Gagan World Cup. But when you look at the, the way that like the Ireland rugby team was perceived, it was just like, you have New Zealand, you have Australia, you have England, France, South Africa. These are the big teams. Like these are the like these are the guys who are playing the rugby. We can only dream of. We're not fit enough. We're not good enough. And Shaggy's, so aren't we just we're happy enough to be in the same field as them? And to go from that to, you know, twenty-five years later, or you know, more, if you're looking at Ireland's ascension, we'll say, from the late nineties, um, certainly in the early two thousands to where we are now, that's a colossal change in 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 how we perceive ourselves and how the world perceives us. So to go into a game like that in a pool game and to have it be looked at in the same way that we'll say New Zealand versus South Africa was in the 2019 World Cup as in there's no dark horses here. These are two favourites for the tournament who are going at each other. Um, For Ireland to play in that game for it to be as intense and as high quality as the build implied clash of the Titans and then to come out and win that game That to me is still when when you step back and you actually watch it, that's baffling to me (laughs) to see that baffling, and like that when you look at how high level we've become. Sometimes you can kind of again get wrapped up in the day to day, but like to go on like if somebody said to you like in twenty five years' time that Italy would be one of the best teams in the world and that they'd be like you know tussling in favourites for a World Cup, you're thinking Italy really? That's how people would have looked at Ireland in the nineties, and like the 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 the, the long term improvement that we've seen, and this is like you've got your top players who are driving it, but th- like the, the the structures of rugby in this country have come on so much and so much, and it's t- it takes such a long time to to build that um, to build that quality. Um, it really is a massive achievement, and that's why I think it's a privilege to have that expectation now where if we play to that level and fix up the mistakes that we had there is no team in this game who can live with us right now and that to me means that this team is more than good enough to win a world cup final and you look at the the experience that are in the, that, that, that is in this team the the winners that are all the way through this team like it's okay to have that expectation. It's okay to talk about it. Like the whole, oh, don't jinx it stuff. Like jinxes to me, like fucking supernatural shit. you either win or lose. What some fella says, you know, like I, I know obviously people know this, but like the whole idea of just jinxing thing. Fuck it. If you, Like I think this Irish team are more than good enough to win a World Cup. And if they play to their level, they will beat every team they could possibly face and win this World Cup. And that's the thing. Now we are weak in one way in that If we lose maybe one or two of the core players we need to play at our very highest level, we will be a much weaker team as a result. I think you look at South Africa, we saw the impact in this game of missing Lacan Am and missing Malcolm Marks in particular. But every team has injuries. And um, I think when you look at how experienced this Irish team is, how settled they are, um, just they're coming in and they're playing extremely high-level rugby. The fears I had about other teams, you know, gaining on them from a cohesion perspective have not come to light at all. So, like, the way Ireland are playing, like, they just seem to have all the answers at the moment. And to a certain extent, they seem to have forgotten how to lose. There were certain points in this game where I thought Ireland had blown it, where, watching back even, I think we were I think we're a good 10 or 15 points better than South Africa but because our line out imploded because of poor decisions in phase play that we typically don't make errors in handling we let South Africa off the hook over and over and over again and yeah sure they, they had opportunities that they missed as well they had a ton of misses off the tee and they had a, a, a try that they, I mean, probably would have scored nine times out of 10, except that ball hopped off Sia Khaleesi's face, as opposed to going right into his arms. And yeah, even with those, I think Ireland were the better team. And again, we can fix that aspect of our game. I'm, I'm sure South African can, can fix up their goal kicking and maybe tighten up one or two other things. But if you look at the team who played the furthest below their level, in this game it was ireland and we still played very well but i go back and i watch all of the possessions where i have seen this irish team again and again execute those and like convert that pressure into points i did a quick examination if you look at ireland's um average point per 22 entry in 2023 so far it is 2.7 points per entry right on average we had what seven or eight entries in this game, um? But we underscored our average by a significant amount—one point, one point, per on average per entry, which is well below what we've what we've achieved uh, this year against the likes of France, um, against uh, you know a dogged enough England team against you know Wales and against uh, Scotland, like that. To me, shows that we have a. a like, we have levels to go on. And this isn't just the whole, you know, XG and soccer thing where we, there was some certain number of expected goals. We we, we saw Ireland with the opportunities into 22, but we saw Irish errors let them off the hook. Now, there's nothing to say that we wouldn't make those errors again. But I think what, one thing we've seen from this Irish team is, is that they fix problems and they fix errors that they have in their game by the time the next one rolls around. And that's the... I suppose the biggest strength of this team is that with all those leaders, with all that experience in the team, they have a very self-regulating environment there and the standards on the field that we've seen are through the roof. And I think that if that team can stay together for the majority of this World Cup, we will beat almost any team we come up against unless they have a completely out of this world performance and we play below our level. Now, even then, do I think that South Africa should have had maybe even a penalty try in the last minute of this game um, to win it? Yes, I think you could make an argument for that. But that to me only confirms my thinking that they should never have been in place to even have that score in the first place. Because we, I, th- I think we wildly unders- underscored our 22 entries and we wildly underscored our, our breakdown work in context. Because um, one of the biggest things about this game was is that neither South Africa or Ireland were able to play the exact game that we wanted to play. I spent a lot of time in the last two years talking to you about play styles and about the different bills that team use, that like the teams use to focus on one aspect of the game over another. Um, in the Waller ratings, I spent a good bit of time explaining what an on-ball team is, what a counter-transition team is, and what a um an off-ball team is. Now, they're basically looking at the four main moments of a game, which is you leaning heavily into your own face play, on ball game, you leaning into kicking the ball long and defending the team in their half of the field to force errors and set pieces out of them. That's the basic tenets of an off-ball game. And then you have the two different types of counter-transition teams. Defensive counter-transition and offensive counter-transition. At the moment, Wales are a really good example of a defensive counter-transition team whereas Ireland are a really good offensive um, counter-transition team. All of those styles have different energy usage. So it's like there, are certain, there are certain amounts of, of, of play styles and role builds that you need in your pack to make all of those game styles work appropriately. Like, for example, we look at France. They've been an off-ball, um, heavy kick pressure team in the last number of years, right? Why? Well, because they have a lot of big, heavy forwards in their team and to get the most out of them, on top of having a generational halfback pairing in DuPont and uh, Roman Antomac, They have decided that to get the most out of their forwards, they need to kick the ball an awful lot so that those forwards are more often than not defending and impacting other teams with their physicality in defensive phase play and and at the set piece, either in defensive balls, in lineouts or in scrums, right? So the pack that they pick as a result has to be very heavy and very physically uh, imposing in those Um, in those areas, right? So, you look at the likes of Paul Willemsa, you look at the likes of uh, Roman Tawafanua, you look at Uni Antonio, you look at um, all of those guys that they have who are big, physical, imposing players like Charles Alvon, all these other guys who aren't necessarily super mobile, but they don't need to be, right? Their style reflects what they have. You look at their midfield, Fiku and Jonathan Dante, great players, but they play like back rows, right? And you look at the, the way that they, you know, use Gab and Villiers is almost like another little small forward as well. The whole idea is, is that their pack is huge. They balance that out with their back line, right? Because most of the time they're expected to play um, defensively, but then also have the skill to be able to attack you on the first or second phase of transition as well. If they turn over the ball or you crack under the pressure and give them something they can work with, they can absolutely do that. And their, their build is really suitable. Like The players that they have and the coaches that they have really suit the style of play that they're using and they're much better as a result. South Africa were a really good off-ball team. You look at how they played in uh, the Lions Tour in 2021, I think it was. Very... We're not talking about massively attractive rugby here, but it was winning rugby where they kicked the ball the majority of the time. They're mo- like both teams, both the Lions and, and and the Springboks in that in that year, were playing very defensive rugby because it's easy to do when you have a lot of players who were coming in from all over the world or from different environments. It's almost impossible to build a, a, a kind of a, a highly complex offensive attacking system without that level of cohesion. Um, so Ireland have managed it because there's obviously a whole ton of top-down alignment they don't have that in France they don't have that in South Africa it's it's impossible so that's what they were trying to build in the aftermath because it works it's easy to do and England are doing the same at the moment so you look at um, what South Africa have tried to do since is I think they've realised that um, you need more and even then I think they looked at what they had at halfback and went, look, if you don't have the the halfbacks to play off-ball rugby, which is incredible tactical discipline, like, and again, massively accurate goal kicking as well because you need to have a a really accurate goal kicker to make the the, the penalties that come off the back of that to add that to your arsenal. You have to take advantage of of, of those. When you are looking to change up your play style personnel must change as well and I look at South Africa's transition from being a, a really heavy high volume off ball team who kick you know basically they, they, they have uh, one kick for every three or four passes um, and into a team who have you know one kick every seven, eight, nine passes which is like when you just visualize that for a moment that gives you a really good example as to how a team are choosing to use their possession, right? Because you look at the pass per carry metric, shows you what happened in a team, right? Like that's what happened in a game. You don't go in to a game and all of a sudden have an incredibly low or an incredibly high pass per carry average. That's something that is like, that is your style, right? But when you look at your number of of kicks per pass or the number of passes per kick rather, that gives you a real impression as to how a team is managing their energy and how they are really implementing their style. Counter-transition teams will have a high or a low number of passes per kick, right? But they will then have a really high number of passes per carry because their, their game is based on post-transition where there's obviously going to be a lot of passing. Teams who are heavy on-ball teams will have a higher number of of passes per kick because they're kicking less now their pass per carry average might be it could be any number of things depending on their own style they might have a relatively low pass per carry Um, I would say La Rochelle would be in that uh, bracket where they mainly carry through the forwards the forwards don't necessarily tip on the ball an awful lot until they get to the edge or you could be like Munster who have um, a pass per carry average between 1.3 1.5 Depending on the opposition, where there's a certain amount of handling expected by the forwards. That kind of thing is it's very dependent on style. You look at off-ball teams, then will have a very, very low um number of kicks per pass, where basically it'll be around 1.2, 1.3. And their pass per carry will also be very low. So they'll play very, very direct as well, because they don't they don't play a whole load of phases off the back of it. A lot of their work is based on set piece and they will play kind of high possession game once they get into a certain area of the field so for South Africa in the last number of years that was once they got into the opposition 22 that's when they would do an awful lot of playing and what your style does is basically I mean one of the things that you can look at as an identifier is how far back do you have license to play what South Africa have changed in the last two years I'd say is that they've moved back from we'll say well inside the opposition 10 metre line maybe inside their own half or near around their own 10 metre line as to where they have license to play from. Um, When you look at South Africa, one area where you do not want to be defending them for long periods of time is inside your 22. Ireland did really good in limiting the number of 22 entries that South Africa had. Um, And a lot of the play where they had, where they did have settled possession was in Ireland's Q2, basically from 22 to the 50 metre line, and, or the halfway line, and um, in South Africa's Q2, which is from the halfway line to their 22. And that's where you want to be defending this South Africa team at the moment, because while they have made changes to their play style and that they're not the Springboks that played the same way in 2019, um, I think a team like Ireland, who are an incredibly good defensive team as well, every bit as good as the Springboks. Um, we're comfortable defending them in that area of the field. But even then, South Africa did a really good job of limiting Ireland's ability to play counter-transition rugby as well. Now, it did get into a very traditional counter-transition team versus an on-ball team in the second half. But I think that had to do with the build that South Africa went to. But the reason why I don't think they were super successful in those moments is they are not fully tuned in to the exact detail of their game that they need to as of yet. I still think that South Africa have a, a theory in their head where it's like, why didn't you kick that? As opposed to, well, why did you kick that? There was a few moments there with Damien Willemsa um, where I felt he was kind of, he's still a young player to a certain extent and he's obviously a great talent. But I, I think that his playmaking IQ needs to improve in those moments and let Ireland off the hook to a certain extent. Whereas we stayed pretty much on plan for the entire game. We only went off plan with the lineup, which I'll speak about there in a minute. So like Ireland's tactical discipline obviously is really high level. And um, I've seen some criticism of Jack Crowley from, (laughs) don't laugh, Matt Williams. And like his miss, the way he understands how Ireland play is just it's completely off the wall he has no idea what Ireland are expected to do and if you're a playmaker in that Irish team what you're expected to do to manage the game plan they've laid out he has no idea he is on that tv show he's on those radio shows because of his accent which is the same reason why he would have been hired here in the first place we're not talking about a guy here who knows the game inside out in 2023 He's entitled to his opinion. He's entitled to be wrong. But both Jack Crowley and Johnny Sexton executed Ireland's game plan really, really well. And like you look at James Lowe getting pelters for the kick that he did towards the end that gave South Africa possession back. That was on plan for what Ireland wanted to do. We gave away a dumb penalty. I think it was, was it Dan Sheehan gave away a breakdown penalty. We didn't need to make that entry, right? That was on plan. That kick, everything. That's exactly what we needed to do you look at like the the big long upfield kick that Jack Crowley did James Lowe did the same Johnny Sexton would have done the exact same in the same scenario but because Johnny Sexton is 38 and Johnny Sexton everything he do, he that, that he did you know be, be it on scheme or off scheme would be considered the plan whereas Jack Crowley does exactly what would have been expected of him in that moment and it's like oh not managing the game that's exactly what he would have been asked to do if you had Andy Farrell controlling him like it was a Playstation that's what he would have done but That's the sort of, of, you know, that's the sort of punditry we have these days. But regardless, Ireland's tactical discipline for the entire 80 minutes was top, top level. Now, our execution wasn't, but the discipline of our approach was, for me, beyond reproach. Um, Very, very rarely do you see an Irish team, this Irish team, start going off on solo runs. Like, to be fair... Can you imagine deciding to go off scheme, and then have to answer to not only Andy Farrell, Johnny Sexton, and Peter O'Many at halftime or full time? Never mind immediately after on field. You would you you just wouldn't. That's the tactical discipline I'm talking about. Where you very rarely do you see in Ireland an Irish player. Because again, we're not, we're we're talking about hugely experienced players in every single aspect of of this team. Very rarely do you see them going. Off plan or off tangent, um, and like that brings us, I suppose, to the execution, um, which basically we're talking about the lineout. We had a return of sixty-seven percent um, from eighteen lineouts, which gave us twelve lineouts we could play off. That was South Africa's first error. Now, part of that is because, like I said, I don't think they fully understand the game they're playing or trying to play as of yet across the entire team in every scenario. There's a few moments that Damien Willemsa and a few others kicked down the line for touch, not realizing that that's exactly what Ireland would have wanted. Um, they didn't keep the pressure up because what on-ball teams do is that they break you with pressure. Um counter-transition teams break you with your with, with movement and with the the distance they expect you to cover. Um Off-ball teams break you with a different type of pressure. But phase play teams, like on-ball teams, like La Rochelle, like Munster, like South Africa are trying to get to. They break you with physical pressure where they just keep going through phase after phase after phase until you have nothing left or you can see the penalty and then they drive into the corner and then you're under the pump. South Africa kept letting Ireland off the hook with relief kicks where it was in theory, smart play from whoever kicked it from South Africa because it went down and Ireland's lineup was under pressure. But Ireland were always going to turn that line around. And every time they did that, they basically just gave Ireland an opportunity to get our set-piece settled, exit up the field, and then they're starting all over again. And that's how it should be viewed. On-ball teams are based on like inefficiency to a certain extent, playing those extra six, seven, eight, nine phases to break the opposition. South Africa have the size to be that team and they have a build where they can start off really heavy and then go light like they did here. They ended up with a small forward build in their back row um, for the second half where they had Van Staden and Quagga Smith but they were still kicking the ball away. Like one of the big issues I have with South African like the the, the, the spring box system at the moment is that they have massive size but they're almost too big to play an on-ball game successfully because they look to get the ball into the wide channel off the set piece. They did that all the all, all game and they've done it all year. So what an on-ball team wants to do is they want to guess and play and basically bounce between the 15 metre lines. So you have your 15 metre tram line for the line out. Your ruck target for your first phase is always going to be there, right? Either one side of the pitch or the other. You then align your big heavy ball carriers across the pitch right? Now monster do it with a 3-3 three, three shape. So basically you have two pods of three forwards with one small forward at the edge of the play. So Africa are still playing with a 3-2 in their settled phase play, which for me is not optimal for what they want. Now I think they're, they're looking to try and play a 3-2-2, two, two, which I mean could work, but what a 3-3 three, three block gives you, it just basically allows you to flatten out the opposition blitz. When you have a 3-2-2, Everything has to be deep, right? Because if you've got a pot of three forwards who will carry the ball up more often than that, you've got a pot of two who are mainly going to be looking to try and do your, your pass action. They'll either pass to one forward or pass to another. They'll either carry themselves or they'll pass into the screen. There has to be depth there because obviously if somebody's running behind those players, they have to be recessed from the game line themselves and the fellas who they pass to because the ball has to be passed forward. Believe it or not, I, I, I read up on, on, on this, on the rules they have to be behind him as well. So straight away a 3-2-2 means that you've got a lot of depth baked into your attacking structure almost straight away. Whereas if you look at a 3-3, that basically means that you you have to loop your wingers to to make it work. But Munster, of course, do that. I think La Rochelle do it to a certain extent as well. Basically to give you an extra option, always. Um, But South Africa don't do either. So they don't play a 3-3 shape across the middle and they don't loop their wingers. So what that means is, is that everything has to be a bit deeper so that they have actual pass options to use. Now, using looping wingers is a high cohesion team thing because there's so many small details you have to get right. There has to be so much um, interaction between those players that they really have to know each other's game inside out. I don't think South Africa had the time to do that. So when you look at how they approach this game, a lot of what they were doing was a 3-2-X or a 3-2-2. And that straight away meant that Ireland had a lot of um, space that they could cover defensively. And because the, the Springboks obviously had to move towards the gain line because they want to play on ball. They don't want to kick every every possession. But even then, like Damon Dillende loves a kick. <laughs> he fucking loves a kick. Um, and Jesse Creel isn't a massive kicker of the ball either. So once that ball left Lebok's hands... Like Ireland knew that, well, the chances of a kick here are relatively low. We know from a schematic perspective, they don't want to kick or they they shouldn't. So like when uh, South Africa moved the ball beyond 10 in, 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 in that structure, it became relatively easy for Ireland to defend it. And like that's the part of South Africa's attacking game that I feel breaks down against an elite defense. Like they weren't able to bully Ireland up front. Now they've done that to 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 New Zealand to a certain extent, but like when we've seen New Zealand beat them as well, it's looked a lot like this now i get I'll get back to our own line out there in a minute, but like that sort of of um play action by by South Africa, I think there's contradictions there, both in their starting build, which i think is too heavy um I know why they why they've used it, but those two styles seem to be there seems to be a juxtaposition there so I think they need to make a change. to their starting pack build. I think they will. They also need to sort out their goal kicking, which probably will need a change at 10. But that then will require a change of style also because Andre Pollard is not an on-ball 10. He is not. Like part of the reason why he's not at Montpellier anymore is because they wanted Paolo Garbisi, who is an on-ball 10. And Andre Pollard just ended up out of favour there. And he's at Leicester now, who are, again, kind of an off-ball team. So that's going to be something... That's that like that that's a square that they have to circle. So we, we we'll see we'll see how they go on that. But basically in the early going of this game, Ireland lost a massive sequence of lineouts. Now, there's been a lot of question as to how that actually happened and what and like basically what can Ireland do to fix it. Now, as usual, a lot of the blame has gone on to Ronan Kelleher. Now, I do think that Ronan Kelleher, I think his his shoulder injuries, they seem to have affected his throwing action. Um, if you go and you watch him frame by frame he is leading with one of his shoulders right which means that he's not getting the exact um arc and we'll say spin control on the ball that he needs to which means that he will be more prone to overthrows right now that isn't to say that some of Ireland's timing in the lineout was 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 also off it like it absolutely was and I think part of that was, we wanted to stretch out that Springbok defense because we played a lot of um, six plus one. We played a lot of full lineouts as well. Um, well, no, we main, mainly six men lineouts or five plus ones um, with Doris in midfield. Um, but part of the reason that we, we we were kind of looking for our forwards to cover a lot of space in their their lifting routes was we wanted to stretch out the Springboks. So what we didn't want was because they've got massive men, right? <laughs> There's like, even Estebet is huge. Franco Mostert is really, really tall as well. Then you've got Peter to toy as well. These are like, you know, all, all of these guys we're talking about are six foot seven. They were or thereabouts or, or, or above in, in, in Estebet's case. Um, what we didn't want is to be compacted into, we'll say you have 10 meters of space to work with there, right? We didn't want to be all compacted into the first five meters of that of that um, area where they don't have to move to lift, So when they don't have to move, they just go on the throw and they're getting massive men with huge wingspans up there and they're disrupting your throw. So what we did initially was we started going to the middle and to the tail. Now, if you go back and look at one of my articles earlier in the the World Cup, you'll see that Ireland um, were almost exclusively against Romania going to the middle and to the tail. And as a result, had a line of completion rate of 67%, which is exactly what we were in this game. We wanted to avoid just taking the ball at the front, which is what South Africa, they give you that by default. And then just look to try and shove you into touch or give you, you know, give you a really poor mall position to work off. That's what they do. So initially, I think with our first lineup, we wanted to go to the tail. Um, it got, it got stolen and we got it back eventually. But, um, you know, that, that was a bad start. We had a number of line out platform and like we, we kept going down the line instead of looking for three because we wanted to punish them, right? We wanted to start well, score a try, demoralize them and then make them come out and play. Because I think we, we knew that their face play game, if they start, okay, we're gonna have to go on, you know, into an on ball state here. We knew that we would have breakdown opportunities against them because their starting team doesn't have the, the pace to cover the positions that their structure demands. And they don't have the outside back line. They don't have the role bills there either to kind of maybe duplicate the breakdown coverage that they need. So we knew we'd have the opportunity to steal the ball at the breakdown and we we did so. And like, we wanted to go out and pressurise them, so three points wouldn't cut it, right? So we wanted them to come out so we could basically start picking them off Um, and that worked, right? But... We didn't get the, the 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 tries or the like the close range small positions that, that that we required because we couldn't steal our own, we couldn't secure our own lineup. ball. now South Africa were competing really heavily on that as well. But our our, our lineup calling for me in that moment was very very poor. The first lineup we did went to the tail. The next one we went right to the front because there was almost like a kind of an overcorrection from from Ryan the lineup caller, and they stole that as well. Um, they kept kicking the ball away, obviously. So we kept getting more lineout opportunities and we kept blowing them um, because we kept looking after that one we threw to the front. We tried to go back to the middle and to the tail again. Um, what we really should have been doing at that stage is just secure the lineout, Just get down, look, put Omani up at the front, secure the ball, build from there. But we kept going back to, OK, we want to hit the middle, we want to hit the tail, we want to pressurize them. Um, and we only kind of sorted that out later in the in, in the half when I think South Africa they really started to tire that starting team really started to tire in the, in, in the first half and um, they stopped counter launching so we started to get a little bit more settled possession off the line out ourselves they kept giving them to us as well um, so that was the, the big thing for me is that South Africa stopped counter launching but we eventually just simplified it where we started just throw the Omani at the front, shot the burn at the front. Ryan did a, a one really kind of a, a nicely taken, you know, take at the front also. Um, I didn't feel he had a great game overall um, just because of the line, line-out calling and some of the other moments offensively and defensively and, and at the breakdown as well. But like he at least managed to pull that back at the line-out um, where, okay, look, we're going to just simplify now. Um, I feel as well with James Ryan that sometimes I think he takes it very personally. Um, the line out calling because um, again look he's, he's a lovely guy and I think that when the line out goes wrong I think he takes it very personally as in I'm going to throw this to myself now and sort it right because I've seen him do that a fair, a fair bit for for both Leinster and Ireland since he's been calling um, and I think in, in this instance he just needed to trust his jumpers Um, because he took a lot on himself and a lot of the ones that we missed were line outs that, or like that, that James Ryan called in himself and I think that it might be better for him like going forward I know everybody talks about him being a future Irish captain and stuff like I see that and I think let the guy play his own game because he's a really good player I just feel sometimes that he takes on too much of it um, if he's the line out caller and the captain I think everybody's in a rush for him to be Paul O'Connell and I think that he sometimes is thinking at the line out He can end up double crossing himself because sometimes he has a tendency to do that. Where it's either, okay, we went to the back last time, so this time we'll go to the front, or we'll go to the back again. They won't be expecting me to do it two times in a row. Whereas he he seems reluctant, at least initially, to simplify. Where we don't need to overcomplicate this. Just get our best jumper, Peter Romani, up at the front and just take this line out. We'll move on. See what see what our, our our wins are like, and later on, we, we we like we will win this moment and try and win the next one. Then, um, I feel sometimes that he he overcomplicates it for himself, um, and th- that's not to say that Ronnie Keller's throwing was great either. Like I said, I, I feel he's a little bit constricted in his left shoulder, where a lot of the time when you see him release, he's really kind of it's over focusing on the right arm in the air. If you go back and watch it, you'll see his left arm isn't fully releasing so he gets hit like the the, the, the spin on his throw isn't as tight as what it could be which means that there isn't as much control so when he was looking to hit the tail that ball was always floating so it always gave the likes of Franco Mostert in particular an opportunity to get up there and compete in the air um, and I think when South Africa decided to go to a, a non-compete where they were basically looking we're going to stick on the ground now And that really gave Ireland an easier time of it, especially because we kept getting lineouts. So like 67% looks bad, but it actually, it actually isn't when you consider that we had 18 lineouts. So that's still 12 lineouts that we could play off. And and all of those 12 lineouts represent a sequence or the end of the previous sequence. So the ball and play time in this game was actually really, really low. Um, And I think that for an on-ball team like South Africa, they actually wanted to be the opposite but I think at the same time, with the size of the pack that they started, they need it to be lower. So there's, again, I think there's a pack build issue there as well. Whereas like Ireland are typically we're suited to playing 38 minutes plus. Um, Like we played forty three to three minutes ball and play against France this year. Um, the lowest two games that we've played ball and play time were South Africa in the last year. And we've won both games by a small margin, but we've still won them. And you could argue maybe should have won by more on both occasions. So it's not an issue for Ireland to, to go deep into a game. And you would think for a, you know, for a super heavyweight team like South Africa, playing under 30 minutes is actually perfect for them. And it would be if they were still a heavy kick pressure team, but they aren't. And I think that's the big issue at the moment is that there's still, there's a lack of clarity there that it, it, it doesn't showcase against a, an All Blacks team who they're battering inside the first 20 minutes and the, the All Blacks go down to 14 men, seven forwards for the majority of the game. It doesn't show in, in, in games like that. But I think in this game, I think Ireland were able to showcase that South Africa either need to simplify their game, strip back some elements of what they've been trying to do or else make radical changes to their pack build um, and they'll have an opportunity to do that against Tonga um so for Ireland, it's just literally just sitting back and, and relaxing. Now you've got uh, two weeks until Scotland win that game and then on to the, the knockouts. Um, but looking at the, at the, the, the individual performers, um, I gave five star ratings to a few players. I'm just going to click into this now because believe it or not, I've actually forgotten who I gave those five star ratings to. I was writing up until, geez, what time? Half 12 last night. Ugh. writing, sports content, never do it, <laughs> never do it. Um, yeah, so just looking at the, the five star ratings I gave. Like, yeah, well, first, is Andrew Porter gave him a full five star rating. He was outstandingly good, Andrew Porter. He is um, physically one of the best in the world, durable, powerful. Offers so much around the breakdown offensively and defensively. He um, has a great engine on him. The only concern was the scrummaging. And in this game, when he was paired to Ronan Keller from the start, it was really a non-factor. We, we can see we can see the few scrums, but they weren't Andrew Porter's fault. Um, he was conservative, right? Legs splayed. He's not looking to go in and dominate Franz Malherba. He was basically like, I'm securing this space you are not going through me. You're not going through Ronan Kelleher. End of story. And Malherba really had a good go off him. But I, th- I thought in the scrummaging contest, Porter got the better of him. And um, that's a massive win for Andrew Porter, not just in this game, but going forward. That he had a game like that against Franz Malherba where he was not on skates going backwards. And I, I think that that's a massive thing for Porter in this World Cup. And again, I think being paired with Ronan Keller is the perfect, the perfect start to the game for Ireland because th- like as a scrummaging unit, they're the same height. They're like Ronan Keller in particular is a very strong, solid scrummager. Like there's no pocket of space for Franz Malherbe to just take by default like he would do if it was um, Porter scrummaging with Dan Sheen from the start. Like a fresh Franz Malherbe there with the power they've got behind him. Um, th- that would be a disaster. But, like, when Ireland were in trouble at the scrum, it was Oxen Che on Tyke Furlong. And again, look, Oxen Che is a, a scrummaging cube um, with Jean Klein behind him. So they put a tight head lock behind Oxen Che to ensure that that hooker unit had as much power as possible. Because remember, they didn't have a, a, a proper scrummaging hooker on the bench. So they put Jean Klein into that three-man unit because the, like the scrum is broken down into units you have your loose head your hooker and your loose head prop and then you have your uh, tight head your tight head lock and then your other flanker kind of mixing up the triangles there so they put John Klain at the base of that loose head and hooker combination because they knew Dion Fury is coming on we'll need to have the power of a tight head lock scrummaging on the loose head side to ensure that we don't get drilled in our own ball here and uh Ox and che is an incredibly aggressive scrummager who, because of his like his he's I think he's like five eight, built like a fridge. Like these guys, they slip in up underneath you, especially a taller um tight head prop like um like Furlong, and they bore through you. And um, that happened straight away when Ox and che came on. And Ireland were under real pressure in that moment. But we survived. Um but um a Porter the most important player in this pack, bar none, bar none. He is world class, top caliber, loose head prop. Um, and if the scrummaging holds and again, I think he'll have a, a more difficult time against the, we'll say a more technical scrummager, but he was outstanding in this game. Really, really good. And that will play a large part in making sure referees maybe think twice before penalizing him automatically, as they may might have done earlier in the year that will do a world of good for Andrew Porter. Ronan Kelleher, like I said, gave him four stars. He had a few issues in the, in the, in the, in the line out. But I think his all round game, I don't, I could, I, I would not put a whole load of blame on Ronan Kelleher for the line out imploding. People were saying, oh, put Dan Sheehan on. It would have still been the same issue, right? Because it was, it was the call structure. It was the, uh, the, the spring box competing. And it was the, um the, the impact of um. Us trying to stretch out the line out and not getting in place quicker because South Africa had the size to really trouble us. They put two pods into the air, uh, you know, and I think that Ronan Keller, I don't think, should be judged too harshly on it. Um, I thought Tig Burn had a great game as well, gave him four stars. Ryan, I rated as a three star, same as Tig Furlong. I just felt that his overall uh, impact on the game, his breakdown was erratic. Um his like his his ball carrying was again not at the level that we we would typically associate with. Part of that's because Ireland didn't have a whole lot of sequences like that until maybe he was off the field. Um but yeah, that's why I mean I don't think he played poorly, but I gave him three stars. I also rated uh, Peter O'Mani with a five star performance just because of how he Basically, helped stabilize an area of the game that was really costing Ireland. But he showed up with a lot of good breakdown work. He showed up with big moments in defense as well, both in phase play and at the lineout. And for me, was a real part of Ireland stabilizing the game when we were really in trouble in that first half when our lineout was kind of causing us to our momentum and our. You could see it, it was touch and go there for a bit, but you look for you look to your experienced players and like Peter and Manny He'll play his 100th cap if he plays against Scotland for Ireland. He's already got 100 te- test caps with his, you know, if you include the Lions, which I don't. Um, so uh, about as experienced a player as you can get. Um, and you you lean on them. I thought van der Fleer offensively didn't have too much to do, but defensively, just nonstop work rate. Absolute nonstop work rate. And he's everywhere. He just shows up again and again and again. And uh, Caelan Doris, top class, top class player. I think if he'd had uh, held onto the ball a couple, you know, a, a little bit better in the first 20-30 minutes um, would have been an easy five star um, but uh, his work in the second half his counter-looking his defensive presence uh, just again he's like Kieran Reid in the modern game that's the type of quality that he plays with he's just again just a top class player Gibson Park I felt had a relatively poor game a lot of talk during the week about how he was, you know, the most important player for Ireland um, from a quick ball perspective. Uh, we didn't get it uh, in this game and I think that when the pressure goes up, if Johnny Sexton isn't there to tell him exactly what to do, you could get anything out of um, Gibson Park and um, like, I don't think he played poorly but there was a few moments I think he looked back on and go, I left a few tries behind me there uh, with my accuracy. Um, Sexton, Tell you what, man, he is tough as they come. This guy, thirty-eight years of age, South Africa came after him all game long. Now he was down there as at, at, for eleven tackles, and there were people, lads, were going, Jesus, he's putting himself about. It's like he had no option but to tackle. Right? They were coming over the fucking top of him. They were sending Damian Dialinde, who was in full on like I've shaved my beard, I'm I'm ready to to batter you, Chad mode, and um. Sexton stood up to it all of it they came after him again and again they ran um, a set piece loop routes to get the likes of Cheslin Colby running up on him and he just kept making his tackles and I felt offensively I, I, I would have would have liked to have seen a bit more of him but like he's 38 and he was there taking those fucking shots and putting his shots in last ditch defending what more could you want out of your captain um, really really good um, I also gave two five-star performances to James Lowe and Bundy Aki who played astoundingly good James Lowe was the best I've ever seen him in this game again look he's he's probably had games where he scored tries or he's you know set up you know lovely offloads or whatever else how reliable he was in this game and dependable how he managed to basically ensure that he was not a weakness on that side where you know you're going to get a lot of traffic from the Springboks with the way they play defensively at the breakdown he was fantastic his relief kicking was superb Um, really really good game from him and Bundy Aki is arguably the best midfielder in the tournament um, the way he's been performing wins collisions defensively he was everywhere making last, last ditch tackles he was winning crucial turnovers as well he is playing the highest level rugby I've ever seen him play um Ringrose I thought did well defensively put himself about yeah look he got a bit of a you know ran into a, a Fiat Punto when he tackled Damien Dilende but you know kept coming and defensively one of the best one of, the, one, of the, one of the best defensive outside centers I think in the game uh Hansen and Keenan had decent moments without ever really being you know the, the, the top level performances that we've seen from them Hugo Keenan just repeatedly I think honors the memory of fullbacks from years gone by by always looking like he's absolutely legging it. Like he never looks effortless when he's running. Like he looks like there's fucking bears chasing him. And I love that about him. And, uh, you know, I think you look back at the opportunity he had when when Ireland ran that um, stack to get beyond the the South African blitz, which I think will only, that'll only work once or twice per game. Uh, I think he could have done a little bit better there. But other than that, you know, I thought he was the usual solid, um, and a, a solid is not a, a that's not a a compliment for a fullback I thought Hugh Cookian did really really well Dan Sheehan uh, I thought did okay when he came on uh, you know a, a dopey enough all penalty but you know that happens sometimes Dave Kilcoyne scrummaged well that's what he had to do he had to scrummage well when he came on and he did Finley Beelam did really well also now part of his scrummaging I gave him a four star performance as I did for Ian, for Ian Henderson part of um, Beelam's scrummaging did come when they were down to Dion Fury instead of Bongi and Bonambi. but straight away when he came on he locked out Ox and Che for the first scrum and that was really really important and uh, he looked really good around the field as well Henderson I thought was really calm presence I thought he needed that and um, did really well uh, Crowley did well Baird uh, put himself about one bad missed tackle on Snaiman but you know <laughs> pick a fella out of the crowd right there was 80,000 people there <laughs> All of them would have missed the tackle on Archie's name. Uh, Baird, I thought did well when he came on. Um, Crowley, I thought, did really well, was really composed when he came on. He was only on for, I think, what was it? Seven or eight minutes. So that's why I gave him three stars. But he, had he been on for another five minutes, it would have been four. He gets the game plan, understands what we're trying to do and uh, landed the big moments that he needed to. Uh, Robbie Hinshaw, uh, didn't have a massive amount to do on the ball, but had two really important breakdown involvements that prevented Ireland from conceding um, big moments and that would have conceded like another try for example that could have put the game beyond us so huge moments for him and Conor Murray off the bench was playing like what he is which is the greatest Irish scrum half that there has ever been and he is in the top five all time for scrum halves if you think different you are wrong he is outstandingly good and has been outstandingly good for years and years like he has 100 and what, 127 caps he's been on three what, three or four uh, lines tours three uh, lines tours no four um if he kept playing they could make an argument that he might that he could even be on the next one as well if he's bothered um the way he performed when he came on here was just the ultimate closer performance. And like you can make a case that, that that Craig Casey would have brought something that would have been different and could have been equally as valuable. I love Craig Casey. I think Craig Casey is in line to be monster captain in years in years to come. But when you look at Conor Murray in this game, the value of having a guy like that, especially when we didn't get the best performance out of Jamison Gibson Park, to have a guy like Conor Murray coming on to play with the level of composure that he brings the, the defensive presence he brings as well. He had massive moments uh, defensively and the way he was able to just subtly influence the moments that led to Ireland winning the penalties that we needed to win this game. um, They are all just what you get from a super experienced world calibre um, massively just again just a, a guy massively influential in Conor Murray and Like he, for me, he's the best Irish scrum after i ever been. I don't don't think that's controversial, but he's like, he's top five all time in the world. And like like I said, you can, you can disagree with me on that. It's okay for you to be wrong. That's, that's how good Conor Murray is. And I think that he showed that here. And look, you could say, look at the moment that, yeah, look, maybe has he lost a step off his game? Probably, probably. I mean, he's coming into his mid thirties, but the ability he has to just come off the bench and just straight away settle anything that might be going on and come up with a few big moments that's what you want off your veteran world class talent where yeah he's he seems to be he, he, like he seems to be content yeah I will play a bench role here I will do that and like having a guy who's comfortable playing that again it's just invaluable and I think that he showed here his value um, certainly in, in a World Cup situation like this um, but yeah well done, Conor Murray. Great performance. And overall, look, you, you you can't look at this game and say that anybody played poorly. Um, and I'm, I just think that for Ireland to win this game with all of the pressure that would have been there, all the expectation, the big physical challenge that came their way from the Springboks who look who didn't play poorly. I feel that, yeah, you could make an argument that maybe their build is off, that they're certainly missing Malcolm Marks or Sul- certainly missing, missing Lacanio Am. If they were there, maybe that's a different story. But... You, you could say that they've got issues at halfback as well, but it's far more complex than just get a goal kicker in there, like way more complex than that. Um, but Ireland had it put up to them physically again. And we were right there. We didn't shy away from it. We were every bit as physical. And that to me is a sign that this team is capable of winning the World Cup. And it's a privilege for me, given what I've seen of Ireland for the majority of my life, to go that this team... If they get to a World Cup final, should have no fear of anybody that they'd meet there. And we just have to play to our level each game, each game, each game, each game. And if we do, this team will win a World Cup and it's right there for us. That sort of expectation for me is a privilege. It's not pressure or oh, putting pressure on the lads. Stop. It's the most experienced Irish team that's ever been. Winners all the way through this team. They've won Heineken Cups. They've won URCs. They've won Six Nations. They've won Grand Slams. They've won Tours in New Zealand. They've beaten every single team that could be looked at, like, that they could possibly look to beat in the last two years. Give them the pressure of expectation because they've earned it. That's the biggest thing that I took away from this game was we went into this game as peers. South Africa were coming in knowing full well that this was a, a decider game. Oh, nobody's going to be happy playing France right in a quarter final away from home nobody is don't talk to me about that so we knew what we had an opportunity okay play the All Blacks they're not the All Blacks that they were they'll be difficult of course but Ireland have beaten them repeatedly South Africa have beaten them out the gate a a few weeks ago you have to go in and finish the job now and that was that game who can come in and do the job and get it finished Ireland did the job saw it out should have won by like for me that's a game that Ireland should have won by 20 points to 8 or maybe a little bit more maybe maybe you could throw in 20 points to 13 or whatever else I think that's a game that we underperformed our level and that to me is the most exciting thing of all because I've seen Ireland be everything from shit to flaky to dark horses to blowing it in the last World Cup to come in here into this game and to play to that level it's exciting and that's what I want to see I want to see them finish it off now don't, like I said You can give me the Like the Royal Keane stuff There's nothing won in this game Obviously I didn't see no trophies Handed out at the end Ireland know that as well The coaches, the players They all know that Because they're too experienced To not know it So They are fully focused on The next game Beat Scotland Then beat New Zealand Then beat whoever you meet In the semi-final Then get to the final And then win it And if they can They'll change rugby In this country For generations to come And that's the prize And I think they're more than Capable of doing it Thank you very much for listening in. Thank you very much for being a Tier K subscriber. I will talk to you again very, very soon.